You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. Also, you can find Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson NBA and myself on Twitter at Walker Mail, M-E-H-L. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit Locked LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, NFL, MLB, and fantasy sports. Got a good show lined up today. Dwight Howard up on the player evaluation docket. Probably the most interesting player to evaluate coming off this season with Charlotte. Really polarizing guy that we'll dissect and we'll discuss. We're going to give you the information to feel extremely optimistic on Charlotte's chances for number one overall pick. You're just going to be feeling great after the segment we have. We're going to do it every day. Charlotte slotted with the 11th best odds. So I'll go to Doug. Doug will relay some of the chances of ridiculous things going on in the world that have even probably a better chance of the Charlotte Hornets getting the number one overall pick. So we'll let you uh, make you feel extremely optimistic leaving this podcast on Take that for data. the Hornets actually getting one of the best uh, or the number one overall spot at a chance to get the best player in the draft. And finally, the first round of the NBA playoffs comes to an end with LeBron and the Cavs surviving the Pacers best effort. And if you don't know me already, I'll go into this real quickly. I have a confession to those of you who don't know. My allegiance is not solely pledged to the Charlotte Hornets. I'm actually a fan of the Indiana Pacers as well. It's one of the dirty things about me that I'm not extremely proud of. I don't like that I'm a fan of two teams, yet here I am. I can't help it. I was born in Indianapolis. I moved to North Carolina when I was really young, so I I try to rep both cribs. I I was here in North Carolina when I was three, so I grew up with the Charlotte Hornets, but I still paid attention to the Pacers, that 2000 finals team with the Lakers. I hopped on with them as well. So yesterday, it was tough for me to see the Pacers lose to the Cavs in a seven-game series. Doug knows of my fandom for the Pacers, so he has been so kind as to let me ramble on the Pacers for 30 seconds. We're going to set the clock. We're not going to eat too much time of the Pacers' loss, but I do want 30 seconds to at least just ramble a little bit on my despair that the Pacers were unable to move on to the second round, despite LeBron James basically being the only player on the Cavs team. So we'll start the clock. Doug, cue it up. All right, 30 seconds on the clock, and be sad. We were so close, man. We were so close. LeBron James has an unbelievable series, 35 points. The Game 7 record for him is unbelievable, but I actually thought that the Pacers could do it with Victor Oladipo's development, DeBontis Sabonis actually contributing off the bench. Miles Turner was great as well in a couple of those games, but he fouls out. And LeBron James, he goes to the bench after saying he wasn't going to sit down at all. And we instead, the Pacers, allow the stretch, the lead to gain a little bit more, even to nine. And then LeBron James comes back and he ends the series. We were so close. <laughs> we were so close. That was good. I hope that was. I hope that was cathartic for you. I thought that. I, I hope that helped you in some way. Yeah, it did a little bit. And I want to keep going on. Thirty seconds wasn't enough, but we'll move on because this is not the Locked On Pacers podcast. You can check that podcast out on iTunes somewhere else, though. But, but pay attention to us for a little bit because we will go to the. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, man. 
Pick me up, dog. Oh, it got way too sad in here, and so the satchel of NBA LOLs here to pick us you know, all up. You know, what's funny about that sound is I still it still takes a little while to register to me because I'm so new what that actually means like immediately with the drop. So my brain, it goes a little crazy. It goes like the white noise in my brain for one second, like, oh, God, what am I supposed to go to right now? But it's a lot of fun. It's so fun, and I have a very fun thing for you. If you haven't seen this yet, okay, so this is this is going to be Alvin Gentry, the hometown guy, the Shelby, North Carolina native, just down the road here from Charlotte. Alvin Gentry coaching up uh, those plucky New Orleans Pelicans who took care of the Trailblazers in four games. Had a little tougher competition against the Golden State Warriors. Here was uh, here was Alvin after that twenty-plus point defeat. Well. That didn't go as planned, I guess, you know, so I'll <laughs> answer questions. Oh, what's the analysis I'll... there, Alvin? What's the analysis there? Well, that didn't go as planned, I guess, you know, so I'll <laughs> answer questions. After a drumming, just come in, I guess, too. Like, no, you well, can, you, I don't think you have to. That didn't go as planned, I guess. No, it did not. You didn't have to venture a guess to say that probably didn't go as well for the New Orleans Pelicans. Alvin Gentry, Appalachian State too grad, or grad too, by the way, right? I believe so, I think yeah. he's a boonie. I think he went up there. I think he supports the Mountaineers. So there you go. A little sadness to start off, but of course, what good is sadness without a little pick-me-up with the NBA, um, the satchel of NBA LOL. So we'll take a quick break while we're part of the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Stay tuned with us here. We'll come back. We'll discuss a little bit of the Dwight Howard, uh, the Dwight Howard acquisition for the Charlotte Hornets, his past, an incredible past. Also, present and future are pretty interesting in what he might do for the Charlotte Hornets if he does remain a member of this team. So stick around. Lockdown Hornets podcast. I'm Walker Mell alongside Doug Branson. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. <laughs> now, here's the funny part. I was listening to this to prep it for the show, and um, my wife walks in and was like, what are you yeah. listening right to? That's a little scary cool. if, if you don't have the context. If you no, walk in up. and you start hearing that, yeah. that's Darth Vader. I didn't have pants on. That didn't help <laughs> yeah, either. No, that um <laughs> It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Dwight Howard's pass is interesting. It's fun. It reminds you of a guy that was once an all-NBA level type player. Not so much here in Charlotte, but still, Dwight Howard... He's had a tremendous career. The dude's past is an impressive one. Really, is any player to ever don a Hornets uniform when you look at it. Dwight's decorated as hell. Eight-time All-Star. Eight-time All-NBA player. Five-time All-NBA first team. Five-time rebounding champ. Two-time block champ. And, of course, a finals appearance with the against the Lakers. With that great team that probably should have gone a couple of times, but the Boston Celtics, of course, they go in 2010. Incredible career for Dwight, which begs the question... Is there any doubt that Dwight Howard is a Hall of Famer? I've seen this discussed quite a bit. I've seen a lot of people run away with some hot takes on Twitter about this because, Doug, quite frankly, I don't get the hesitation to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. I know a lot of people just simply don't like Dwight, but you look at his past and you can't possibly, to me, look at his resume and deny him a berth in Springfield. 
No, I think there's a couple of things going on here. So we we all remember how dominant he was in his prime, but that prime ended so sourly in in uh, Orlando. But unlike Shaq, he did not get to reap the benefits of going to Los Angeles. You know, he didn't get to sort of redeem his legacy uh, after things ended so poorly in Orlando. So I, I think that I, plays a big part into why people think that he might not be a Hall of Famer. But the stats don't lie. No, they, he was amazing. And I, I kind of always have been a Dwight apologist. I, I think there are certainly some problems with Dwight going to the lot. I mean, in the locker room, there are certainly some problems that Dwight has. But I'll say this. I, I think, you know, in Orlando, it ended weird. You know, Stan Van Gundy's press conference where Dwight Howard has no clue and then comes in behind him and discusses, you know, is there any problems here? We don't have any problems. And after especially Stan Van Gundy discussing openly, being very candid, some of the problems that he had indeed with Dwight Howard and then Dwight Howard comes and puts his arm on Stan Van Gundy's back and his shoulder and says there's nothing there so that ended it's just a weird way to end it was how awkward then he goes to the Los Angeles Lakers of course Mitch Kupchak a guy who traded for Dwight Howard and it never gets rolling there in LA the second half they actually played pretty decent basketball but at that time I believe they got in the playoffs as an eight seed that season barely getting in Mike Brown gets fired after five games because how dare they go off to that kind of a start with Steve Nash, who basically his back was done for. And, oh, and Dwight's back. I and mean, Dwight's that's what, back. Yeah. That's the season you really started to see Dwight become really injury prone. And again, this season he played 81 games. So kudos to him for this season. But that was the first season you really started to see him become really injury prone, where it was really tough for him to stay on the court. And then, of course, you have Kobe probably making that transition to age. Uh, and there was what it was the 2011 season, I believe, that Dwight Howard, maybe 2012, I think it's 2012, Dwight Howard goes to Los Angeles and you start to see Kobe start to age a little bit. So, yeah, 2012, 2013, it was the, his second to last All-Star appearance. So Kobe Bryant is still jacking up shots and probably not as an effective rate as he once had, of course, as certainly out of his prime. So the Lakers, that experiment doesn't go well, but they do at least make the playoffs. And then it doesn't go well at all in 27 and Dwight's 27 age uh, year old season. And then he goes on to Houston where it goes pretty well the first season for Dwight Howard and James Harden and company. Dwight Howard and company, they go when he's 28 at this point. They go to the Western Conference Finals, I believe, in his first season. And maybe it's the second one, but I, I thought it was his first one they decided to go there. And then... Um, after that, just no more all-star appearances for Dwight since that first season in Houston. And you look at what Dwight did, you know, it was pretty incredible. But after that, pretty much after that trade with Orlando, it, you could just see it steadily decline for Dwight Howard. His, his numbers have, have gone down pretty significantly since then, ever so slightly each year. But, you know, it's not the guy that he certainly once was. I mean, now a lot of people, in just the way the NBA has gone, his value has really, really uh, gone downhill and you could see it subtly every so year just go down in points you know he goes from averaging 17 with the Lakers to 18 with Houston that's his last all-star year but then he drops down to 15 then he drops down to 13.7 then he drops down to 13.5 with Atlanta and then he has the best statistical season that we've seen from Dwight Howard since that first year that he was in Houston and it was pretty interesting to see Dwight have this kind of year this kind of season with the Charlotte Hornets and of course the Hornets are able to acquire Dwight 
in what I thought was a celebrated trade. I celebrated it, if nothing more, for not, of course, just acquiring Dwight, but also you dumped Miles Plumley's salary, which was amazing. I didn't even know Rich Show could do that. If you, he brought it on, but then he got it, he brought a uh, punted off, excuse me, on the Atlanta Hawks alongside Marco Bellinelli, which I was fine with at the time. And of course, a couple of second round picks were interchangeable there as well. I think they swapped second round picks. So Dwight Howard comes to be a Charlotte Hornet and has a pretty decent season. But the pass, Doug, it, un, I mean, it's fantastic. It, it's probably as good as any pass we've seen of a guy who has worn a Charlotte Hornet uniform. Yeah, I mean, the, for the, those last four or five seasons in Orlando, he was a, a dominant presence and dragged an Orlando team uh, to the finals that I don't think a lot of people thought uh, could really get there. And the thing with Dwight, I think, is that it really – it's interesting because as large of a man as he is, he really tracks like a guard in that he, you know, his statistical output really went with his athleticism. And as, as his body gave out on him, uh, he really could not transition uh, the rest of his game, never really developed uh, any kind of mid-range threat like a LaMarcus Aldridge because he didn't need to so early in his career where he could get to the basket at will. And, uh, you know, his his impact went down as a result of that. I think he was uh, he was able to put up numbers for the Hornets mainly because of opportunity. He was just getting a lot more looks than he was in Atlanta. And that that kept him satisfied for for most of the season. Whereas, you know, you look at that one year in Atlanta and he was extremely unsatisfied, especially with his role uh, near the end of the season in the playoffs. Yeah, you look at his last year in Houston and his only year with Atlanta, it was pretty decent amount the, the the lowest amount of field goals he had attempted every single game up until his rookie season so his rookie season he was averaging 8.3 field goals attempted and then you look at that last year with Houston his only year with Atlanta it was the same it was right there 8.3 in Atlanta and 8.5 in Houston this season goes all the way back up to 11.2 and that's right around that average of when he was dominating and he started to become a very good player in this league so he saw a, a decent amount of more opportunities as far as looking at the glass. Yeah, his, his numbers are a little tricky, right? Because they I mean, are his, tricky. His his field goal percentage uh, actually down from Atlanta, down from Houston. His effective field goal percentage significantly down from from his uh, one year in Atlanta and his last year in Houston, fifty five point six percent compared to sixty three percent, sixty two percent. So, you know, he was getting more opportunities, but they were no, they were good, right? And some of that's on Dwight. Some of that's on the fact that I think they never really figured out a way to gel him and Kemba and him and Nick in terms of getting him those those sky high lob looks that really uh, were his go to in Atlanta. Well, and, and man, you, you look at it. It probably should go the way that it went the past two seasons as far as the effective field goal percentage go. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that you look at that. And you probably see a more effective basketball team. And I'm cool with Dwight maybe getting a couple more field goal attempts, but it would also be within the pace of the game. It wouldn't be trying to force feed it down low and letting him go to work a whole lot, which he does have that in his bag. Don't get me wrong, but it's not exactly I'm going to do a hook shot over my left shoulder. It's not going to look the greatest. It's going to be bully ball down there. Well, think about this, too. So. He was averaging 8.3 attempts that last year in Atlanta, 11.2 this season. That's two more attempts. How many mid-range shots did we see him take per game? We we at least got one. Well, it's three more at, attempts, right? I mean, oh, excuse yeah, me, three no, more but attempts. It, yeah, which but is, so, so that's probably an extra post attempt that he wasn't getting in Atlanta. And then one to two extra... Cringeworthy uh, jump shots from the elbow. Exactly. <laughs> so were the, what was, you know, when you look at those three more attempts... 
I think it, it makes complete sense why that effective field goal percentage is down 55 over you know his years when he was getting that same those same number of attempts uh, what 59 percent his first two years. I mean he was Houston. sitting at 60. He was sitting at yeah. 59 and 60 for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Again, you look at that field goal percentage at 55, 56 rounded up. It's the the only times he ever shot worse was his 19 year old and 20 year old season, and it was his first two years in the league when he's just coming out of high school learning how to play in the NBA. That's the worst that he'd ever shot until this season when he shoots 55%. It's weird. And real quick, just talking about dominant Dwight, I've seen Bomani tweet this out a lot, and I never experienced it because I hadn't covered a Dwight Howard basketball team before. But Dwight, really not all that tall, right? Hey, do you feel me on that? 6'9", no, 6'10". Six, six, and, and he's listed at 6'11". And he's not. He's not 6'11". No. And I thought, you just watch him play basketball. It looks like a guy that's seven foot, legitimate seven feet, huge, just the the most perfectly sculpted body body out there. If you want a body, you want the seven foot body that looks like a legitimate Superman. But he's not seven foot. He's six nine, six ten, and crazy athletic and crazy strong. It goes to kind of make you appreciate what he did at that height a little bit more than I even realized with the Orlando Magic days. Look at him next to Joel Embiid. Go back and look at those uh, the, those advanced box scores and and check out some video of him next to Embiid. Did you know a- you were getting that? I, I didn't know I was getting that here in Charlotte. Did you know that he wasn't as tall as he's listed? At? I mean, like even previously with the Rockets and those teams, it was a little bit of surprise, and and we also got skinny Dwight. Because he lost, I mean, he lost a lot of weight between we uh, the, the Atlanta and and Charlotte days, and that's because he wants to extend his career. He wants to expand his game. That's why you saw the mid range jump shots. And I'm sure that, it, you know, I'm sure Clifford wasn't a huge fan of it. I'm sure that fans were not a huge fan of it. But that was Dwight trying to. He he's facing extinction. You know, his kind, his 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 type of big man is facing elimination from the National Basketball oh. Association. You have John Wall saying his team doesn't have athletic bigs. Oh, that's those are great comments. Those are great comments. Gortat, you listening, man? You know he is. And you know those guys have been going at it all. Because we already knew that there was a problem between specifically Gortat and Wall in the first place with some of the Instagram battles that NBA players like to get involved in, especially between those two, where Gortat says when John Wall is out, and the Wizards actually playing better, or at least the same with John Wall out. Gortad comes on Instagram and says, that was a good team win. Of course, with the emphasis on team, John Wall responds with LOL. And now you have a beef between those two. And there's been at least reported beef in the past between Bradley Beal and John Wall. And it is interesting. You hear John Wall discuss people need to understand their roles on this team. Is there anything there towards Bradley, or is it more towards Gortat? Is this all simply Gortat? Because he does mention the bench, too, but it seems like there's a few jabs taken at other guys. And these are the tensions that happen when you when you go through these kind of transition periods in, in NBA basketball. Because, you know, think back to the, the early 2000s, Walker. This situation would have been reversed. It would have been the dominant big man calling. It would have been Shaq calling out Kobe. Not the now today it would be Kobe calling out Shaq. I mean, it is completely we've completely flipped uh, basketball on its head, where the guards are dominating, and you know you have to be athletic and be able to shoot. And also, if you ask Steve Clifford, you have to be able to defend as a five. These guys are dinosaurs. There's there's no doubt about it. The asteroid hit the Earth. The dust cloud is settling. It's blocking out the sun. Life is dying down low. 
And now we'll see if there's a Jurassic Park. We'll see if somebody can get that DNA from the mosquito and make sure the big man rises again. But it absolutely is a dying breed in basketball. It's crazy to see that these guys, you're talking about Joel Embiid being legitimate seven foot, by the way. Oh, not only is he taller than you, Dwight, he's actually a pretty decent physical specimen. Maybe not you, but pretty decent physical specimen muscle-wise. Oh, and by the way, he can shoot from a pretty decent percentage beyond the arc. Oh, by the way, and he can defend on the perimeter. Oh, and by the way, it's not just Joel Embiid. It's Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and it's other guys that are being able to. You're seeing a little bit more frequently in the NBA. It's crazy to see. I think you're still going to see players of that size. They're just going to have to have less focus on the offensive side of the ball and be able to really, again, defend force. Well, it's, mean, it's an expanded skill set. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say is you're still getting guys that size, but it's an expanded skill set. Man, look at Rudy Gobert with the Utah Jazz. That guy is absolutely a rim protector through and through. That guy can help you on pick and pick and rolls, hedging just long enough on those perimeter guys. Dwight ain't doing that. And and, and Rudy Gobert can do it. And look, I, I actually was a big fan of Dwight this season. I thought you got the best Dwight Howard you could probably get that you could ask for. I don't know if he was used the correct way. And perhaps that's some of the reason that Steve Clifford is gone. Perhaps part of the reason is Steve Clifford's inability to adapt to Dwight Howard or just flat out saying, man, we're going to have to go in a different direction. But I actually was a fan of what Dwight really provided for this Hornets team. But there's no denying where this league is headed and possibly you can resurrect that. You see things go in cycles all the time. But right now you're seeing the perimeter game win basketball games. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're seeing you're seeing the perimeter game become more the focal point. Very interesting stuff to see where this NBA is heading, and if the Charlotte Hornets can keep up pace. What do you do with Dwight Howard now? What are some of the ways to move on from Superman? Stick around with the Locked On Hornets podcast. We'll be back in just one moment. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker, and you, you drafted Bismack Biamba before him. Oh! You got it right the second time, which is great. I am too smart. SMRT. But you drafted Biombo before Kimba Walker. So, <laughs> again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Walker Mail here with you. Doug Branson alongside discussing Dwight Howard. And discussing Dwight Howard's future, just as interesting as pretty much the entire story under the umbrella of Dwight, because what do you do with Dwight? And we were discussing a little bit, it kind of lends to Kimba Walker and how much value you have for him. It is, we're discussing at least that kind of player, right? I mean, Dwight is a name player. Do teams want that name on their team, even though he is worth $23 million for one more year on his contract? How do you do it? Do you buy him out? Do you try to find a way to trade him? You know, it, it's all I, I don't know if there's really going to be all that many potential suitors with Dwight Howard, because, again, as we as we just slammed the position that he plays and the kind of body that he is, I don't know how many potential suitors that you have out there. And I just I don't think buying him out is really a realistic option at this point. What I think is has been proven in Atlanta and Charlotte it's really difficult to integrate someone like Dwight Howard into your offense and defense quickly. I mean, it's something that it takes time. It may even take multiple seasons. And Dwight Howard 
is going through a bit of a transition himself in terms of how he wants to play the game offensively. And so you're, you're sort of, you have to deal with that and you have to put that into your calculus as well. And I, I don't think a lot of teams are necessarily prepared to do that. No, I don't think they are. And again, if they are, then they're not going to give up a whole lot in order for you to just go ahead and get rid of Dwight. Now, maybe you do. Maybe maybe that is considered a strictly salary dump, which maybe it could be. You know, I think that'd be fine. I don't know how much you're really asking for in return. But if they are, I, I can't imagine that you're getting all that much. The buyout market, Doug, we were discussing this off air. The buyout market is so interesting with this type of player because, one, you just don't see it all that often. But it becomes to a point where, okay, is this marriage so bad or is this thing just not working enough to where, you know what, damn it, we'll just we'll just pay all this money and we'll get rid of you. Because I don't I don't think that's here with Dwight. I don't think that's the case here in Charlotte. No, you really didn't see any of the the Dwight Howard drama that I think a lot of fans were worried about when when this signing happened would. You know, you see some of the, the the coach and player conflict that you saw with him and Budenholzer, or would you see some of the Dwight Howard and other star player on the team uh, situation that you saw in Houston with James Harden? No, I mean Kimball Walker and Dwight Howard seemingly got to got along together, and and Steve Clifford uh, waited until the Woj pod to really make some veiled comments about uh, about Dwight Howard's game and and why it didn't yeah. necessarily mesh. Uh, but you didn't hear any of that during the season I think uh and maybe honestly I wonder sometimes if if the Hornets ability to keep Dwight happy maybe negatively impacted the season as a whole and not wanting to rock the boat too much and and sort of being careful not to cause a disaster because you wanted to give yourself an opportunity to, to be in the playoffs did that result in them not making the playoffs because they couldn't adapt they couldn't adjust which would mean we basically got the same old Dwight here in Charlotte and everything was fine because everyone kind of adhered to his personality. And I did not see it all that way. But if that were the case, let's say Dwight Howard's off this team, but the roster still looks the same and they're playing a lot better, then it's it's really tough to draw a whole lot of more other conclusions, right? You could you could put that as a coincidence. And you know what? You might be right. But still, with just all of that at least thought process going on in the background, I mean, think about that. If Dwight's off this team and they start playing better because, you know, for whatever reason, and they just weren't, they're playing differently, maybe not even better, but they're playing differently and they're better, right? They're playing with a, a more more ball movement. Um, maybe their attitude is even different. Maybe their persona is a little bit different than, man, maybe we didn't learn anything new about Dwight Howard this season. And I think the thought process on the team was that this, without Dwight, the Hornets could possibly be a better regular season team, but they probably would not be a better playoff team because you needed that you needed that presence inside that was going to draw some attention away on offense and help you on the defensive end. And you weren't going to get that from Miles Plumley. And so they thought, well, you know, we might sacrifice some some adjustments that need to be made in the regular season, but hopefully we'll figure that out by the end of the regular season and be ready for the playoffs. And that just never they just never could get that all together. Yeah, finishing thoughts on Dwight. After after just discussing some of this in pretty much a lot of a negative light, I'll say this. One, I do that trade pretty much 10 times out of 10, right? I I, I think I do at least. I, I'm getting rid of Miles Plumlee's contract because he provides zero value for you. I'm getting rid of Marco Bellinelli. Even though he's having a nice run with Philly, I'm fine with that. And I'm taking on Dwight and I'm trying. I'm reuniting him with Steve Clifford. I'm going to see if that works. I'm going to see if they adapt. I'm doing that trade 10 times out of 10 because of the value that you got with Dwight and just the value getting rid of and lack thereof and Miles Plumley. I think the guy had 
a very good season statistically. Perhaps you do need to say statistically every time you say that pretty strictly because there's obviously some team chemistry or some team play that did not enhance with Dwight Howard on the team. You know, the defense went down. That's weird. That's weird with a Dwight Howard anchor and the team defense goes down. So I think you do probably need to put statistically pretty strictly there. And also, I'm probably saying I don't know how much of it is all Dwight's fault because it's just the kind of player he is. When Dwight's been extremely successful, he's had four shooters around him. The Hornets were not able to put enough shooting around Dwight Howard to truly, I think, marry out the vision that or carry out the vision that uh, Steve yeah. Clifford because that's Clifford said it over and over that I mean they put four shooters around Dwight Howard in Orlando when they went to the finals that was the strategy the Hornets just like I feel like they didn't give Steve Clifford the personnel that that he needed I'm not sure they gave Dwight Howard the personnel that that really he needed to be ultimately successful and you know here we are and maybe that's part of the reason why when you go back and you know, watch all of these uh, end of season press conferences from the players. They're they're not really pointing fingers. They're just saying, "Look, this didn't work. It didn't work out, and we're disappointed, and we'll try to get better." But you're not seeing the John Wall or Carmelo Anthony strategy from these players of saying, "Well, this guy's got to go, or that guy's got to go." They're just they're really disappointed, and 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 I'm not sure that there's a quick fix. Yeah, just a marriage that probably didn't work. Probably it's just the best way to sum it up. It was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. Didn't work. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. All right, we'll move on. Every day leading up to the draft lottery on May 15th, Doug will continue to build our confidence with questions on who has the better odds, the Charlotte Hornets winning the number one overall pick, or then he'll give some crazy scenario of something ridiculous that still has a pretty decent shot happening before the Hornets would actually get that number one pick. So, Doug, let's play the odds, man. Great music. Okay, so how should we do this? Should I give uh, Should I give something and then you guess whether it has better odds of happening? Yeah, let's make it a game. Let's okay. make it a game. Let's go, game. what has the better odds, and then you give the crazy scenario, and then you give the chances of the Hornets winning, and then I'll say which one has the better odds. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you that the Hornets right now have a 0.8% chance of winning the number one overall pick, and that equates to 1 and 125 odds. So right, you're saying so, there's a chance. So right. I'm saying there's a chance. All right, so do the Hornets have a better chance of getting the number one overall pick or being on an airplane with a drunken pilot? <laughs> like Denzel Washington being on your being your pilot for the right. day. Right. Um, Is Denzel from what was that? Flight. Flight. From flight. flight. Was would Denzel from Flight be their <laughs> uh, pilot on their uh, personal plane? Or are they getting the number one overall pick? I really hope it's getting the number one overall pick. I'll say for the surprise element, just because it happens like this all the time, I'll say getting a drunk pilot. That is correct. They have a better chance of being on a plane with a drunken pilot. That's a uh, one (laughs) in 117 odds. So almost the same. That's not good, by the way. It's fairly close. That's that's awful. Uh, That's awful, right? I mean, you can't feel good. You can't be leaving this podcast, listening, going on to your next flight, which, by the way, I have a pretty one one up soon, knowing that I have a better chance of that happening than the Hornets getting DeAndre Aiden, basically. You want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. All right, so do the Hornets have a better chance of getting the number one overall pick or getting away with murder? (laughs) You're picking dark ones today. These are just <laughs> bad ones. There's a there any happy thing. I no, we, we don't do that. Um, I'll I'll go with I'll go with getting away with murder. 
That is also correct. The Hornets have a better chance of getting away with murder. One in two odds. Two to one. Getting away with... Right down the middle. 50%. you You have a coin flip odds of getting away with mur- why are more people not committing murder <laughs> that, have- that's the question you go to yeah, <laughs> why, why that's my more, question why are more people carrying out their anger in something that results in someone dying i agree with you well, if because you're, if you can, 50%, look, it's a coin flip i guess the criminals are just keeping up with time with times as good as just as good as the fbi yeah is that this, what we're is, saying? this is post dna <laughs> you still have a 50 50 shot of getting away with murder, then the Hornets do. I then the Hornets do have getting the number one overall chance. I've played the ESPN lottery machine a couple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Last year, did you play it? it? Did you play it 125 times? Because in that case, the Hornets were guaranteed to get the number one overall pick. Well, I didn't. I did not play. I hopefully I have better time on my hands and more more time and better time on my hands. And I never got the pick for the Charlotte Hornets. I did last year. I did last year. I worked at it. I was determined. I sought my goal for the number one overall pick, and I attained it. This season, I have not done it. I just need to put more work in. If the Hornets do get the number one overall pick, and you are Mitch Kupchak, who do you take? Oh, it's DeAndre Aiden. Really? You, you've seen him play, right? I've seen Aiden play. Oh, I've I'm also taking, seen. You, you want somebody else? I've also seen Doncic play. You like Doncic? No, I don't want Doncic. And we know that... Or Doncic, right? Luka Donch, Doncic. Doncic? Doncic? I think it's Luka Doncic. I want... Okay, if it's if it's Doncic, fine, but I want it to be Doncic. Doncic. Because then I can... Donk? Yeah, well, Badonka Doncic, <laughs> yes. Luka, Luka Badonka Doncic. And yes, well, I'll say it that way, <laughs> even if it's not even if it's not correct. But uh, we do know that Mitch Kupchak was watching Doncic. Don, wait, Don... You're saying it right now. Okay. Badonka Doncic. <laughs> I like that nickname. That might be the number one nickname as soon as he comes in the league. I want DeAndre Ayton. So you're you want you want Luka Doncic, or you're saying Mitch Kupchak does, or are you saying both? Well, I'm saying I, we know that that Kupchak was scouting Doncic, Badonka Doncic. Oh man, that's a struggle. We're gonna be struggling from there on. To me, DeAndre Ayton is is the guy. Again, he's kind of like. He's like Dwight Howard, but with all the things that we said Dwight Howard does not possess, right? I mean, that, that's it to me. I, mean, I think he can defend on the perimeter. I think he can shoot the three-point shot. He tries really hard. And he tries so hard. He's got so he's got a motor. He's got good effort. I, I, I'm taking DeAndre Ayton number one overall, if he's available. But then again, you have a better chance of a drunk pilot flying you on your next commercial flight. So don't cross your fingers. All right. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Hornets podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Lockdown Hornets. I'm Walker Mail alongside Doug Branson. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Badonka Donkich. <laughs>